From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your loft, your parents' basement, taxi, long-haul truck, RV camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A very special hello to uh, all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations in Canada and the United States, those of you catching us on the podcast, of course, and uh, the Conspiracy Show app. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes. Thanks for your fine company. L.A. Marzuli is standing by, world-renowned researcher of ancient prophetic texts, and uh, L.A., of course, has uh, uncovered the trail of the Nephilim as they have left their uh, footprints throughout history, and perhaps uh, they never left. We'll discuss uh, that, plus uh, scientific evidence uh, such as, this is fascinating, I don't know if you've been following this story, uh, this very strange creature that resembles, well, uh, I guess a creature that most closely resembles a, what, what we knew from legend as a fairy, uh, or even perhaps uh, the locusts described in uh, St. John's um, Revelation. We'll get into all of that as well. He we went down to Mexico, had uh, x-rays taken, DNA samples of this very strange winged uh, creature. Don't know if you've seen it online, but we'll we'll show uh, some images of it uh, on the uh, the YouTube YouTube stream. Uh, and also, of course, LA's um, uh, excellent series, Watchers, uh, Watchers 10 now is uh, is available, and his book, Nephilim Hybrids, packed with information uh, concerning what Lynn believes may be a massive uh, cover-up. That's L.A. Marzulli in Mere Moments. Where did the towers go? Evidence of directed free energy technology on 9-11. Uh, don't miss my exclusive live event, Sunday, September the 11th, Featuring Dr. Judy Wood, that's from 1 to 4 p.m. at the JJR McLeod Auditorium here in Toronto. Tickets available online at strangeplanet.ca. Just click on the live events page and uh, order and print your tickets right there. $20 in advance, so be quick because the time's running out at the door. You pay $30. So get your tickets now, strangeplanet.ca live events page. Where Did the Towers Go? Featuring Dr. Judy Wood, Sunday, September the 11th. Don't miss out. Hope to see you there. Uh, Albert Vinzel, a remote viewer, story producer, par excellence, is uh, here running our Hangout on Air. Ian Robertson uh, on the other side of the glass, twisting the, do- the knobs and the dials. Uh, if you want to stream this radio program on YouTube, uh, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Go to the top or near the top of the feed and find the tweet containing the HOA link. Just click on that, and you're in. Now, I'm going to crib here from uh, WND, our good friends at WorldNet Daily. It's the age of revelations, bizarre creatures, the false perception of reality exposed. And in Watchers 10, supernatural hunter L.A. Marzulli traverses the world for the truth in the latest installment of his mind-bending series, focusing on the DNA testing of some of the most incredible, unidentified specimens ever found. Marzulli travels to Mexico City to investigate the remains of a fairy, quote-unquote, dubbed the Metepic creature, a being some noted eerily resembles the locusts mentioned by John in the book of Revelation. Marzulli's Watchers 10 includes detailed scientific research, including DNA testing and x-rays, to determine whether or not this small winged creature is a hoax, an elaborate scam, by an individual piecing together body parts, or if it can be authenticated as a real carbon-based life form. 
L.A. Marzulli is an author, lecturer, filmmaker. He's penned 10 books, including the Nephilim trilogy, which made the CBA bestsellers list. He's received an honorary doctorate for the series from his mentor, Dr. I.D.E. Thomas, who was the provost at Pacific International University. His series, On the Trail of the Nephilim, is a full-color, oversized book which uncovers startling evidence that there has been a massive cover-up of what he believes are the remains of the Nephilim, the giants mentioned in the Bible. L.A. Marzulli, my friend, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hey, Richard, I'm great. How are you, sir? Actually, I'm on mute. Hey, Richard, I'm great. How are you, sir? Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> good, yeah. good to have you with us again. Uh, yeah, good for- to be here. First of all, listen, this is kind of late breaking news, uh, but on, uh, on, uh, going back to WND, they're reporting, I don't know if you saw this, or maybe you're the, the, uh, the source, these giant, uh, footprints found in China. This just happened like a week ago. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I, I just, um, someone sent me the link and I just looked at it. Very, very interesting. It, it appears like the real deal, and of course, they're, you know, WND, thank you, uh, Joseph Farah for, you know, sort of tipping uh, the hat towards our work, um, you know, that, that's quite an honor that I can do that. But, yeah, I mean, look, this stuff is starting to come out, and, it, and what's really interesting to us, to all of us, guys like Steve Quayle, Tom Horn, uh, Timothy Alvarino, I mean, we're all kind of plowing in the same field. We're trying to expose it so people can really see what's going on. And, um, you know, information like this is just absolutely fascinating. All right, let's uh, let's talk about this uh, this winged creature uh, down in uh, Mexico. You went down there. First of all, how did you find out about it? Well, what happened was, and this is this is just an amazing story. We went down about three years ago to interview Hami Masan. Hami Masan has one of the longest uh, television programs in Mexico. It's watched by upwards of four to five million people on a weekly basis. And, and, the, and the program basically deals with the whole UFO phenomenon, which is, you know, just wonderful, actually. And thank God somebody's doing it out there. You don't get anything like that in this, in, you know, here. You get ancient aliens is about the closest thing we get. Now, how many will have, like, real photographs coming from all over the planet, and he shows them, and he talks about them. It's a great show. So we were down there to interview Jaime, uh, which later became Washer 7, which, by the way, we won, we won uh, Best Film at the... Um, at the UFO Congress that year, which was just a real honor for us. And George Norrie actually presented the awards, which is really cool. Well, what happened here? Well, I still hear you. Um, yeah, can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Okay, there's, there's a mute thing on. I just want to make sure you can hear me. So anyway, um, we get out to interview Jaime, and we're down. Jaime, like, the offices are in a four-story, nondescript building in Mexico City. So we're there with Jaime and... Uh, uh, he appears on the second floor, and he kind of waves to us. He goes, Marzulli, Shaw, come up. And so there's a spiral staircase that goes up all four stories, and we bounded up the staircase and finally ushers us into his office. And he immediately informs us that he's right in the middle of a TV show. He'll be down in about an hour. In the meantime, guys, take a look at this. And he reaches behind him to a cupboard up here, takes this thing out of the cupboard, brings it down, and sets it on the desk. And here it is. It's this jar. It is a jar. It's like a nine-inch figure. It's got wings. It's got pointed ears. It's got a tail. It's got teeth. It's got arms and legs. And he sits it on his desk, and he walks out of the room. He bows out of the room, jumps up the staircase, and kind of waves. We'll see you in an hour. Goodbye. <laughs> La-dee-da. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Richard, Sean, and I are looking at this, and we can't believe what we're looking at. And I, I look, remember the first thing I thought it was, 
oh my gosh, this looks like something I read out of the book of Revelation. That was the first thought that came into my head. And I, I went to Rick and I said, do you think it's real? And he, you know, who knows, right? That's that sort of thing. Well, this led us down the rabbit trail. Uh, Ricardo Rangel was a ge- uh, geneticist who also came on uh, that particular meeting. And we interviewed him. We interviewed Jaime about it. We had to sit on these interviews basically for three years. We never published them. We never did anything with them. Now, Jaime gave the permission, and that's what that's what's in Watchers 10. The thing has gone basically viral. Um, yeah, it's, and it's it's just a you're right. It's a huge, yeah, huge I mean, it's story. It's viral. It's all over the place, right. and uh, you know, it, it's just really, really interesting. But look, I leaned, and, and I know people aren't, aren't going to believe this, but um, we really were in a quandary with this thing because the X-rays which we had, we we, we saw the X-rays in, in Mexico City. But well, we didn't actually get them until about oh three or four months ago. In other words, about a month before we were ready to, ready to uh, go into post production, stop shooting all all interviews for Watchers Ten, so Richard could finish the thing on the time. Richard Shaw, the co-producer of Watchers, um, Jaime sent the X-rays. So we saw the X-rays down there in Mexico three years ago. They were taken before we got there, and I was confused about something. Because it's three years ago, and uh, I thought that they took the x-rays that day. No, they brought the x-rays in for us to look at that day, but the x-rays were taken before that. So I, 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 I said it the other way. I thought that it was very providential that they took x-rays the day we were there. I was wrong. And because of the language barrier, uh, you know, it's like, okay, so we're not going to get some of the particulars. And immediately, oh, my God, it's a hoax. You know, people will jump on that. Or Zoe said, what right. Right. You know, it's like, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, it's like, God, I'm not trying to hide anything here. Right. I right. leaned towards hope when I, when I saw it. Um, when I saw the x-rays, it became even more, the needle went from like, okay, hopes to like, oh my gosh, major hopes. And the reason for this is, take a look at this. You see the little white dots, and I'll try not to move it. Yes. You see the white dots on it? I do. Yes. Right there? Yes. We didn't know what those were. And I'm looking at those and going, well, maybe the white dots, that was the x-ray I showed you. Maybe those white dots are the way they put this creature together. It's like a composite from a creature. Right, exactly. Yes. That's what we thought it was, okay? And and they're like, we're going like, well, you know, if we go with this thing and it's a hoax, and we say it's a hoax, then, okay, we've, we've just proven it. So... There's, there's no hang on our faces. We're doing the right thing. We're telling people what we think it is. If it's not a hoax, and we say it's not a hoax, then we're really going out on a limb here. Exactly. Yeah, no, you've got a lot so, riding on this. I mean, you've got, you know, we do. Y- your well, reputation. We right, exactly. We, we still have a lot riding on it. You, you wouldn't have believed the vituperative remarks uh, when this thing finally broke. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's like no one was there. No one's got the x-rays. No one's done any research, but they sit on YouTube and act like they know everything. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So here's the deal. Mm. I want. So here's the (laughs) deal. I made a deal. I I, I called this one particular veterinarian who lives within a 100-mile radius of where I live, okay? The guy wishes to remain anonymous. He's, He's since 
that interview, he's backed off the whole thing completely. I'm sorry. Have anything to do with Lynn, I'm going to jump in here. Excuse me, I'm going to yeah, jump in. I, I, yeah, I, I, I can't blame him. Okay, we're going to take a, a, a timeout. We'll come back and we'll pick up on that point. L.A. Marzulli. Watchers 10, of course, now available. And uh, don't forget, uh, it's quite an amazing uh, book. On the Trail of the Nephilim, full-color, oversized book. We'll tell you how to get that. And uh, we'll talk about this amazing winged creature down in Mexico and uh, the X-ray evidence. Does it point to a hoax? Or is this the real deal? Back with more. Don't go away. My name is Richard Serrett. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Author, researcher, lecturer, L.A. Marzulli uh, is with us. The website, lamarzulli.net, L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net, lamarzulli.net. Uh, and you can order... Uh, wa- you can wa- order Watchers 10 uh, right there off the uh, the website. And, of course, also on the website, you can uh, follow his blog, uh, Acceleration Radio, Acceleration TV, uh, and so much more. L.A. Marzulli now talking about uh, this strange winged creature resembles a fairy. We've got uh, some images that up uh, up on the uh, on the, uh, the live stream there on YouTube. Uh, and recently, L.A. showed us uh, an X-ray. So you, you took that X-ray to, was it a neighbor? No, no, it wasn't a neighbor at all. It was a veterinarian that was within 100 miles of where I live. Okay. So I had to drive a considerable distance to get to this guy. Um, and, you know, this came through a friend, through a friend, through a friend type of thing. So I never met this guy before, and I walked in, and I had the x-ray, which I just showed you. I'll show it again because it's, you know, just really worth looking at. Yes, absolutely. Let's get those up again. It okay. Is. And I walk in and I say, look, you know, you don't know me from Adam and uh, I don't know if this thing is real or not, but could this, you know, we look at the x-rays and I go, no, I'm talking to a veterinarian. And the reason I wanted to go to a vet rather than a medical doctor is this. A veterinarian is trained, think about it, he's trained in looking at a variety of different animals, everything from snakes to mice to hamsters, dogs, cats, I mean, horses. It's just the whole spectrum of of, of Anatomy, right? You know, uh, all creatures, great and small, type yes. of deal. Where a medical doctor, okay, they may know something about it, but they're trained particularly to look at one one anatomy, one skeletal structure, and that is a human being. So obviously, the vet is the way to go. Absolutely, with this thing, because this is an unknown, um, you know, mammal at this point. We don't know what that. Anyway, for all we know, Richard, the thing could be a hoax, and we don't want to get the egg on our face. And, and quite frankly. You know, we still don't really know. Now, and the reason for that is this, that even though we, we went with it and we believe that it, it's not a hoax, we, we are in the process of doing extensive testing on this thing, probably in the next month or two. Okay. Uh, we've got access to it. We're, we're going for it, okay? We're, we're, getting, we're getting our ducks lined up now. So I go to this vet. All I've got is the x-rays with me, and I go in the little waiting room and, and I, I, you know, arrange all the X-rays. I've got my iPhone, and he'll let me, he'll let me record with the iPhone, but not on camera, so I can get the audio, which is what I do. Right. That audio is is, is printed uh, verbatim in the new book, Nephilim Hybrids, and it's also obviously in in, in the in Watchers 10. So my first question is, is I'm holding this thing up, and I'll show you a frontal view. This yeah. Time. Let me just. 
have Albert switch over so we can see that. Are we good, Albert? Can we see? Okay, we can see the x-rays. Good. That's the frontal view. That's the frontal view. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, okay, are we looking at, my first question, is this a composite? You know, like, well, we took the, you know, the skeleton of an hamster and then we put some bat wings on it and a skull of, you know, uh, a, a, a fruit bat or whatever and, and went from there. And the guy's looking at this thing and he's going, look, I can see an entire skeletal system here. You know, I, I can see the rib cage. I can see the sternum. Okay, I see the pelvic girdle. I see the way the uh, the um, the thigh bone, okay, is, is attached into the pelvic girdle. And, and and he's going, if it's a hoax, if it's a forgery, it's it's a masterful one. Right. And then he goes, why would someone spend the time to do this? And I go, exactly. He was found on the side of the road by a 13 year old boy who gave it to Honey Masson, who paid X amount of dollars to get it from the kid, and then it's out there. No one's done. You know, Honey hasn't posted anything with it. We're the ones that sort of broke the story, at least here in the state. He's allowed us to do that. Thank you, Jaime. But it's Jaime's fine. And, you know, I mean, Jaime sat on the thing. So the best looking at this thing going, you know, it doesn't look like a composite to me. It looks like the real deal. So my next question to him was this. I'm going to use the other one now. I said, look, here is, and you, you can see this, right here, there are the wings. Got it. Yep. Right there are the wings. Amazing. And you see the way that with the radiograph, the X-ray shows three different hot spots: the pelvic girdle, right there, right, the area around the shoulder blades here, okay, where the wings attach, and the skull. It's exactly what you would expect to see. Pelvic girdle is massive bone. The wings have a muscular system; must have some kind of a muscular system that enables this thing to fly. Which means, like we have shoulder blades, mm-hmm. this thing's got shoulder blades that are dense, and it's got a, a, a skeletal system and a muscular system to support flight. Then, of course, the skull is dense because skulls are dense, all right? We also think the thing flies. You see the way this thing is like here? It doesn't fly this way. It flies this way. And that's based on some eyewitness accounts that we have. Right. So right. he's looking at this thing. And again, we're looking at the structure of the wings, and, and he's going, you know, it, it really looks real. So, okay, I mean, all that's well and good. I get it. Now, my, my hoax meter has gone from, this has got to be a hoax, to like, well, not so sure. Still leaning towards hoax because of the enigmatic white dots, which exactly. we see all yeah. through the creature's body. Right. See that? It's everywhere. All right. Let me show you the frontal one because the front, the front X-ray has got um, shows you a little clearer in some ways. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I dropped it. Uh, you can see here, you know, dot, and then the three dots in here. Uh, what looks like maybe one or two dots that have smeared together. Another dot there. So I'm looking at these white hot dots and I'm going, well, what? What, you know, what, what makes these? And he goes, the vet goes, oh, I've seen those before. And I go, well, you know, what do you mean? He goes, those are BBs. And I'm still not putting it together this way. I go, BBs? Yeah, how can somebody, what, they reload it 20 times? And he goes, no, it's like buckshot. Now, he, obviously this guy doesn't shoot, I guess. So it's not buckshot, it's birdshot. 
Right, and birdshot. Yes, it's a... come up and look at the X-rays, and we know that this thing's about nine inches tall. And based on the X-rays, we've stated that it, this hunter stated it's number seven birdshot. Ah. Number seven birdshot. That's what these white dots are. Well, when he said that, BBs, buckshot, somebody shot this thing. Right. And we know from about 50 to 75 feet away, based on the pattern. And I just went, oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, my host meter went from here to, no, this thing is the real deal. So when I walked in there, my host meter was way over here. got to be a hoax. These white dots have something to do with it. And then it started swinging back. And by the time the interview was over, you know, this, the, the, the veterinarian really cleared up a lot of what I was looking at. And that, that changed everything for me. Um, I realized that, that this thing was blasted out of the air. It was shot. Uh, and that these white pellets, these white round cylindrical dots that we see all throughout the creature, and if they're very asymmetrical, I'll show it to you again. I mean, you can see that, that it, it, these dots are very asymmetrical. They're all over the body. And we also think now, the veterinarian comes on the record and states this, that you can see the fractured leg here. The fractured leg, we think that may be one or two pellets which broke the leg, right. fractured the leg. Right. So, um, look, we've got things lined up. We're trying to find a forensic uh, anthropologist to look at this thing because that's what we need. We need a forensic anthropologist to look at the x-rays. We actually have the creature, not in our possession, but it, it's in California. And uh, we're excited about that because we can do further testing on it. We're going to take multiple x-rays, try to get as many different people with multi-disciplines uh, as we can, like forensic anthropologists. Um, I've already had a taxidermist weigh in based on the x-rays. It was really interesting. A taxidermist said, look, he's articulated and dis or I should say he's disarticulated and then rearticulated thousands of skeletons. What a taxidermist does when he gets a something to mount, let's just say it's... Um, uh, a raccoon, for lack of a better, you know, we'll just pick a raccoon. Right. right. So somebody comes in with a dead raccoon that they shot. I want my raccoon villain. So the taxidermist, and by the way, I, I was an amateur taxidermist at 12 years old. I was a boy scout, and you could sign away for North Western School of Taxidermy, and of course, I sent my $14, which was a lot back in 1962, and I got these books, and I, you know, the whole neighborhood, all the kids, all the guys. Sure. Totally into the stuff in Pennsylvania. Did you Boy put a squirrel in a top hat and a tuxedo? And the whole <laughs> deal, right? So, that is going to back to He's telling us that he's, you know, disarticulated. He's got the raccoon. He's got to skin it. He's right. got to take the skeleton out of this, right? And then he's got to, you know, take all that meat and everything else off of it and boil the, boil the, the skeleton because he's going to use that skeleton to remount into the raccoon. Now, right. not all taxidermists work this way, but this guy does. And so he's got to re-articulate it. He looked at the x-rays and he said, L.A., the thing is real. And his opinion, the thing is real. And that's, look, it, 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 it gets weary. You can tell. I, I need a vacation. But you, you can tell that it gets weary. <laughs> oh, bad. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're like, we're going against the mainstream. We're going against what people really don't want to believe. And, and there's so many hoaxes out there on the Internet. I get it. And for all we know, still, we may be still looking at some sort of elaborate hoax 
that has fooled me, the taxi journalist, the veterinarian, my business partner, Richard Shaw, Jaime Masson, we still aren't 100% sure. But I got to tell you, where I'm at with this thing, I'm like at least 90% sure that it is real and it's not a hoax. That, that's, where I'm, that's where I lay, based on the veterinarian's take on this thing. And now I'm just standing with the radiograph with the x-rays are showing. And that's why, look, we're, we're getting things lined up. We're going to try to... We're going to try to extract one of those pellets, bring it down to the seal lab, um, open it up, put it under a scanning electron microscope with an EDX, which tells us what the material is made out of. We'll be able to ascertain is that birdshot, if it's birdshot, you know, then, then like we're home, sort of home free. I mean, you, you're trying to tell me a forger builds this thing and then blasts it with a shotgun so it even looks more real? I mean, is that what we're looking at? I don't think so. So, okay. You know, this is our research. What? Uh, first of all, what was the veterinarian's reaction when he saw this thing? He was uneasy, <laughs> and that's why he's backed out of it. Right. Um, and I, look, I, I get it. I mean, I understand. I understand why these guys are like that. Uh, it's um, he's thinking reputation. He sure. Doesn't want to be associated with this. This is really far out stuff. This is beyond the fringe, and it is beyond the fringe. And so he doesn't. You know, I, I get it. And when the moment he told me, I just started laughing. I said, look, you're going to join the ranks of, of others who uh, are very nervous about saying anything or coming on the record. And, and you can see the, the book here. This is the book cover uh, for Nephilim Hybrids. That's actually a shot of what it looks like in the jar. And you can see the creature with the wings. And, you know, when, when I first saw the creature, Nephilim Hybrid, Yes. When I first saw that creature, and coincidentally, my boys uh, were watching the Harry Potter series from beginning to end for the 188th time, and uh, I saw the uh, you know there's that uh, the uh, the movie with the those Cornish pixies. I don't know if people are familiar with the Harry Potter movies, but there's this creature in there at Hogwarts called Cornish pixies. That looks for all the world like a Cornish pixie. Yeah, you're not the first person to tell me that. So is it life imitating art? Um, you know, we don't know. Uh, you know, art imitating life? I mean, we, we, so all I know is that right now I lean towards the thing is real, and that raises more problems than, than we'd like to actually go down and think about. But I want to show you something else here, and I'm going to bring this in real close so you can see it. There's the tail right, right there. Yeah, what's that on the end? Right there is the tail. See yeah, it? Right. Right there. So yes. that tail, I'm going to point to it again. There's the tail. Right. That tail is as a, it's like the tail of a scorpion. It has a barb on it. Ah. And, you know, when we saw this, we were immediately taken aback by it because that's just not supposed to be there. And yet it's there. And what we read in, in the book of Revelation is that these things that come out of the pit, that are released, and there's, you know, millions of them, perhaps, billions of them, we don't know. There's an army of these locust-like things with, with faces like, like a human being, hair like a woman, um, a, a armor like iron, like a breastplate. It's got wings that sound like horses with many chariots. And you know what? When, when you're around just two or three hummingbirds that are going after the hummingbird theater, theater, it's very, very loud. Yes. And this thing was nine inches tall. That's that's exactly nine inches. From here to here is exactly nine inches, okay? So, you know, when you, when you look at that and, and you 
we extrapolate about that. You've got these things, these wings are big, um, and this thing probably quite the racket in, in, in sure. life when it was sure. around. So, so the locusts uh, from from Revelations. This is a this is a pretty close description of, of what you're looking at there in that jar. Amazing. It, it's very very close. That was the first thing that popped into my head when I saw it. Oh my gosh, this thing looks like it's something out of the Book of Revelation. I mean, that's what it looks like. And the stinger that it had, and I showed you that on the X-ray. The stinger is not bone. The stinger is cartilage. So again, the hoax, the hoaxer is going to have to find a stinger, and it doesn't. You know, it kind of resembles a scorpion tail, but it's not a scorpion tail, Richard. It's something else that I've never seen before. So what is that? And that's why, you know, we get it, we get it to a vet who will look at this thing and train in anatomy, take more x-rays, really look at the way the thing is attached, go in with a, with a, with a scalpel and get one of the pellets out, and maybe extract fluid, if there's any fluid left, from the tail area. We don't know. Um, the brain is the thing, as far as we know, you know, the brain is always encased uh, in, a, in an airtight seal, so to speak. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out, right? Because of the skull, the way things are. Right. So, is there still tissue there that we might be able to sample that's not contaminated by the solution from aldehyde or alcohol? Oh, things in? boy. Lynn, this, this could be the story of all time. This could be the most important story in human history. Uh, we'll come back. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far, but it's a very, it's, I mean, I could think of a lot, a lot of stories which, which would trump this. No pun intended. All respect to your last guest. Oh, uh, all right. LA. It's fascinating. Stay with but us. But it certainly what, what, is a story that, 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 uh, causes people to think, and it does point back to the veracity of the biblical prophetic narrative. I mean, exactly, exactly. Real. I got to jump in. I got to take a time out. We'll come back with L.A. Marzuli. L.A. Marzuli.net. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. L.A. Marzuli is with us. Author, researcher, lecturer. L.A. Marzuli.net. I want to talk for a moment about the Paracas skulls and if you have any uh, any updates on these amazing elongated skulls. I mean, you went down to South America. You had access to them. I mean, this is amazing how you, first of all, you get access, L.A. You must spend a lot of time building trust and relationships with these people. They, they just, they're willing to hand over things to you. It's like this amazing gift you have. Well, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're very blessed that way. It's, it's, you know, provenance, whatever you want to call it. Powers that be, uh, Wants this information released, and I think that's why it's, it's, some of it just comes to us. A lot of it comes to Richard Shaw. Some of it comes to me. I mean, there's no scorecard here, but stuff comes to both of us, and uh, it's really interesting the way it the way it filters down. Uh, the, the samples that we were able to take were all from Senior Juan Navarro's uh, History Museum. We were allowed to take hair out of there, and that's what we did uh, with no scalp attached. It's just hair, human hair, and no one cares about that. We certainly weren't taking skulls or artifacts or anything else. However, there was a skull in a private collection that came out of Peru, um, probably in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. The guy's grandfather was a medical doctor, bequeathed it to him. And the guy, the medical doctor died when, in, in like 1990 something or other. So this guy's had this skull for years hanging around. It's a greatly 
elongated skull. It's actually on the cover of Watchers 10. And it came out of La Oroma, Peru. And we have we were allowed access to that. We drove to a nondescript, undisclosed location in Oregon. Uh, we were presented with the skull. The owner of the skull was there. And we were allowed to take DNA samples. So we got the hair uh, from, from the Paracas um, Museum. And then we got the powder that we took. What's interesting about this is that the DNA, the mitochondrial DNA, which is, it comes from the maternal side, the mother's side, shows a European haplogroup, a European haplogroup. The powder from the elongated skull found in Oregon was T2B, which is uh, Turkey and Syria, the Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. That's rewrite history. Now, <clears throat> academics will look at this and, you know, say that the samples were contaminated, wasn't done right, you know, why don't we have access, where's the peer review paper, blah, blah, blah. We already know that. First of all, we can't do a peer review paper because two of the labs, the DNA labs that we employed, that we paid, will not write us reports because they don't want to be associated with us. There you go. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's very, the, the whole lab, peer review process is incredibly political. The third lab in Thunder Bay, Canada, voted for them, Lakehead University, came on the record, let us go to the lab, explain the whole PCR deal with, with genetics and how it worked, and Stephen Frappietro, Renee Frappietro, husband and wife team, they came on the record, they showed us how the powder was extracted, why it's T2B, that the powder from, the, from that Oregon skull, which was, you know, T2B, half-flow group, was probably the most uncontaminated. That skull has been handled by who knows how many people over the years. It was also kept in a box with a Native American skull and just a, a, a modern-day human skull. And all this stuff was just being jostled around. <clears throat> so there's cross-contamination all over the place. But when you go with a Dremel tool, turn the skull upside down and go in, and then blow that out with compressed air, and then go in again and take that powder from the inside of the skull. That's what we set up to the lab. And Frappietro states on the record that that's our best shot of getting uncontaminated DNA. But we've got the hair from Paracas showing a European haplogroup. group. Here's why it matters. The Darwinian theory states that at the end of the last ice age, Asians came across what is known as the Bering Land Bridge, the Beringian Land Bridge. Right. In other words, where the Bering Strait is now was dry land. They crossed over and trickled down through the Americas, and settle it. All the Native American tribes, that's how everybody came over. That's right. what we're taught. That's the best, that's basically Darwinism 101. That's how, you know, Europe or North America, Central America, South America was populated. Guys like Thor Heyerdahl, who wrote Contiki and later on Raw, said, no, wait a minute. People could have built boats and sailed over here, and he proved it in both Contiki and Raw, in Raw in particular. He built an equivalent of scale model of an Egyptian papyrus boat and sailed that thing from Egypt across the Atlantic and wound up in Barbados without a compass, without doing anything. The trade winds will just take you there, okay? So he proved that, that it could be done. Fascinating stuff. Our hypothesis has always been that Nephilim tribes fled the Levant, fled, fled the promised land when Joshua and Caleb went into it. And they were given a mandate by the God of the Old Testament, who's also the God of the New Testament, by the way, 
to wipe everybody out, men, women, and children. That's right. Burn all the, kill all the animals, burn everything. Why? Because they're all genetic hybrids. Smite, smite, smite. Exactly. Listen, yeah. uh, sorry, LA, I gotta jump in again. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll, uh, continue to discuss, uh, the Nephilim and the Paracas skulls. Stay with us. Welcome back. L.A. Marzuli is with us, author, lecturer, filmmaker, and uh, the new book, Nephilim Hybrids, and uh, also uh, Watchers 10, up to number 10 now. And you can order uh, the whole series, the DVD set, Watchers 1 through 10, at uh, the website lamarzuli.net, L-A-Marzulli, M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I dot net. All right, we're talking about the Paracas skulls and uh, the... Uh, the Bering Strait, the land bridge, and how uh, versus sort of the Contiki theory, and how the these the Nephilim may have gotten here. Uh, they fled the uh, the Holy Land uh, when the Israelites were ordered to you know to to smite every man, woman, and child living in these these villages. And now it it, it makes great sense. You know why would a loving God order every man, woman, and child to be destroyed? And uh, well, if they're Nephilim, it makes perfect perfect sense. All right, so. Yeah. Continue on. They're, they're hybrid, in my opinion, the inhabitants in the promised land are hybrid entities, which never were supposed to be created in the first place. Um, some people also call them the soulless ones. And for all I know, they may be. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating here. The bottom line is they are anathema. They are cursed. And that's why the mandate comes down. And people have had a problem with that mandate because they didn't understand what the Nephilim were. It's basically a satanic hybrid, a fallen angel hybrid, which isn't supposed to be there. So the fact that Paul Hyrulal proves from his book, Raw, that you can sell from Egypt and wind up in the New World is telling. It, it flies against the Darwinists who insist that that can't possibly be, that people really didn't do that. In fact, I did a, there's a book I have in my library, it's basically Archaeology 101, and by the 30th page, the, uh, the author of this book has already, you know, made it really clear that, uh, this type of stuff never happens. Uh, the stuff, the, the antics of Thor Heyerdahl are just, just antics. That that never happened. That people really didn't do this. And I, you know, it's nonsense. Says who? Says you? Why? Because a bunch of academics decide that this is the paradigm that they're going to promulgate. And anything that goes against that, they won't. It's just like a climate change deal, right? You go against climate change, you're in the end of the fall. Well, the science seems to be flawed, and that's why I'm not buying it, for one. And, and, and many other scientists are not buying the whole climate change. But that's, you know, politically correct to even go against that. Well, Darwinism is the prevailing paradigm in both the scientific community and academic community. It's where everything, you know, the world runs on Darwin, basically. That's, that's the paradigm which the scientific community embraces, and the academic community embraces. Uh, ben Stein's movie, Expelled, and I'm always hailing back to Ben Stein's movie because the guy's done the work, and he's done an exemplary job, uh, a stellar and superlative job uh, on this, uh, the idea of exposing the subtitle of no intelligence allowed, right. exposing this intellectual dishonesty, what I would call intellectual fascism, uh, in, in, in the world of academia, because if, if you say anything like even just mention intelligence design, oh, you lose your tenure. You can be fired just for mentioning intelligence design. Now, why? You know, that's that's no intelligence allowed. That's intellectual fascism. 
So the fact that we've come up with, the fact that we've gone out, now we, we've got a, a guy, and a husband and wife, that has backed us financially. That's why we're able to do some of what we're doing. Because all this stuff costs thousands of dollars to do. And thank you for these, this wonderful team, uh, this wonderful husband and wife team, who donated a sizable chunk of money to allow us to do this. And I've been extremely penurious with the money. I've never taken a penny uh, as a salary. Uh, you know, when we finance an expedition to Peru, that comes out of that particular fund, if it's DNA that we're doing, and that's, that's what we're doing. So all that being said, the Paracas uh, hair samples and the sample from uh, the La Aroja skull from Peru, the greatly elongated skull, that's in actual, um, um, you see, like, yeah, it really doesn't, it, it's there, but it doesn't really show up. But the bottom line is, it, it, it flies in the face of the Darwinian theory because, uh, the, one of the hairs that we tested was 2,000 years old, 1935 years old, okay? And that showed a uh, European haplogroup. So that doesn't work with, with the Beringian land bridge. Exactly. It doesn't work. Exactly. Someone from Europe traveled to Peru. They're not supposed to be there, Richard. They're not supposed to be there. Not so till 1492, exactly. What we've discovered rewrites history on some level. I mean, it really does. The La Aurora skull is carbon-14 dated about 850 years. So I'm not making this stuff up. That's where the science has led us so far. And, Richard, you got to understand something. We're not going, hey, we've got this theory that we'd like to try to prove. No one knows what our hypothesis is. We just present the hair samples and say it's paleo-DNA, uh, you know, ancient DNA. Can you extract it? They don't know what it is. They have, they have no dog in the hunt at all. None. They didn't know what they were looking at until they gave us the results. And then we showed them. They were going, oh, my gosh, where did you get this? And, and, you know, who wouldn't? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Okay, so the mitochondrial, the mitochondrial DNA uh, is a haplo-European uh, ancestry. But what about the nuclear DNA? We couldn't get any. The nuclear DNA from the, uh, the powder, we were able to, to sequence a little bit of it, a little bit of it, enough to know that it was a male. Uh, but that's it. it was, we couldn't coax any, any more sequencing out of what we found. It was very, very fragmented. And see, that's what's maddening about it. What we've learned through this is you need a whole lot of material to, to get nuclear. And even then, there's no guarantee. Nuclear DNA degrades like crazy. And, 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 it's, and it's, hard to, it's hard to extract. When you get it, sometimes it'll sequence, sometimes it won't. Because it's deteriorated, it's so broken down, difficult, difficult to get. But that's where the prize is, and, and we think we can get it. So, you know, we've got permits that we're trying to get down in Peru. Uh, we, we will take the team back down there. We've got other sites in the Americas on private property that we're working with. Um, we're on the trail, man. That's what we do. We're on the trail. And what else about these Paracas skulls stand out? In other words, the, you know, there is the, the the theory that oh, these are just these are normal humans, and their their heads were bound in order to produce this effect. They were bound at a very early age to to elongate the skull for who knows for what reason. But is there anything else, for example, about the the bone density or anything else that 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 basically says no, these are not normal human skulls? This is the model. A one-to-one model would give you an idea of, of, of what it looks like, how greatly elongated the skull is. You'll also notice here that there's no 
there's no sagittal suture. In other words, when I talk about a suture, this is a suture here, right? This is called the frontal plate. Now, this suture should go from this area here straight back like this, and this is called the sagittal suture. That's what should be there. Guess what? No sagittal suture, not even a remnant of it. Now, the skeptic will say, well, you know, there's a disease called craniosynostosis. Okay, I get that. And that, that's a disease. But does that mean everyone had craniosynostosis when they were in Peru? Because we saw numerous skulls without a sagittal uh, suture. So, okay, you know, that's convenient. Uh, that may be what's going on. But we found something else, and this is the work of Rick Woodward. No one examined the foramen magnum. The foramen magnum is this area right here, right there, okay? Right. Right here. Now, it's been packed with clay, and that's a dowel hole. That's what that is. But the outer area, let me just tip it this way. Okay. This area right here is the way it's supposed to look. We didn't touch it. That's, that's inside, it's been packed so you can fit a dowel and mount the thing. But here... All around it is exactly the way the foramen magnum looks. The foramen magnum is where the spinal column comes up through the neck and attaches right, right at the base of, right at the base of the foramen magnum, like that. And that's where and you that's, drilled for the bone powder for the DNA, correct? Well, we drilled right around in here someplace. Okay. Right next to it, right in this area. All right. The foramen magnum. And this is the work of Rick Woodward, who comes on the record in Washington's 10, and also the book, Nephilim Hybrid, Shameless Plug. Where is it? Right there. And so Rick Woodward comes up, and a couple of things. First of all, the foramen magnum here is in a totally different location. It's moved further back to the occipital plate. This is to the occipital plate in the rear. See how close it is to the occipital plate? It's almost, it's, it's a normal human, a normal uh, magnum in a human skull is placed differently. It's, it's more forward. It's like right in this area here. Right. So the foramen magnum is not only much, much smaller, it's also placed further back in the skull. And the paracus skulls all showed the same aberration. Now, is it conclusive? Nothing's ever conclusive. What it's showing, according to Rick Woodward, is that this is a genetic this isn't the result of cradle headboarding. When they take when they take the, the artifact, they take the skull and they wrap it with, with plant life or, or you know rope or whatever, and they mold the skull. Okay, we get that. By the way, this skull here was twenty five to thirty percent more cranial capacity than a normal human being. So you can right. elongate a skull, you can shape it, but you can't You can't increase you can't, the volume. You know, add cranial capacity exactly. to the skull. You exactly. You can't do that. So you know, it was interesting. There was a guy that wrote a hit piece on us um, and, and said something like, there's nothing new and all this other stuff. And one of the most disingenuous articles on us that I've ever read, and we actually had to post it on the blog because my, my business partner read it, he was infuriated. And it became apparent that the so-called researcher had never seen Watcher's 10 nor read the book. But as typical as the skeptic and the scoffer is, he's so sure he knew all about it. Right? Yeah. And, and what he wrote was just a hit piece, which was incredibly, dis, you know, intellectually dishonest. Because in the book, I actually re reproduce verbatim the report given to us from Lakehead University. You can read it for yourself. 
the, the, the results of the test are T to B from the powder. And it differentiates, it, it's different than the other samples that were taken from that same skull. And that's why we were all, we were all confused, including a geneticist. And then we realized that the jaw might have been different, that the, every, every other part of the skull could have been contaminated because of where this thing was kept. But the powder, the powder was fresh, Richard. The powder came out, we showed it on the video. The powder came out of basically a place in the skull that the only way you can get to it is with a Dremel bit. Fresh, fresh material came out. That showed T, T2B. Yeah, no contamination yeah. there. No DNA contamination. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, those hit pieces, as you call them, that's, that's what I call that panic. That's panic from the other side because, you know, it's amazing how, uh, how quickly things start to unravel when they're held together by lies. And, and everything that you're offering up just flies against, you know, their narrative. And now it's starting to quickly unravel. Uh, and LA, that makes you a very a dangerous and courageous person. I appreciate that. Thank you, Richard. Uh, so, once again, let's uh, remind people, can they order Nephilim hybrids off the website as well? Yeah, absolutely. L-A- LAMarzuli.net. And, of course, uh, Watchers 1 through 10 DVD set also available there. And please follow uh, Lynn's blog. Some great, uh, great articles. Lynn, as always, thank you so much. Great, great for, Richard. I appreciate care. you spending some time with us. Thank you. Good night. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, my thanks to uh, Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Jonathan Franz, all of you for listening at home. Back next week with the legendary Jim Mars and also Rosemary Ellen Guiley. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. <laughs>